Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, welcome to The Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette, and joining me as always is my co-host, Joshua Gray. Hello, John. How are you doing this week? I'm doing great. It's a... Uh, Wonderful week because this week is research week. I feel very inquisitive today. I do too because I feel like uh, we're going to educate ourselves on some things. And and hopefully we're going to educate the listeners by asking questions and finding answers, much like our guests. (laughs) So joining us today, we have two very special guests here for the first time. We have Dr. Alicia Brown and we have Marisa Kristovich. Perfect. And they are here for uh, the research and development service here at VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. Welcome, ladies. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. So, happy Research Week. Thank you. And um, before we get into some of the stuff you guys are doing during Research Week, uh, what is the role of the VA Research and Development? So, for Big VA, one of the roles of VA Research is really to provide this foundational service where we can bring innovation to veteran healthcare. So, treatments that aren't necessarily vetted yet. Um, but they're available and it's kind of like the right to try. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our veterans have very complex uh, issues and their care needs are uh, pretty demanding. So to be able to offer the innovative kind of treatments and assessments is key, key to moving forward. And, you know, I did a little bit of research, no no pun intended, ahead of time, um, (laughs) just looking at some of the things that VA research has has produced, uh, you know, over the, the course of time. And some pretty incredible breakthroughs that the VA is responsible for. Uh, the development of pacemakers, the nicotine patch. Well, and our very own Dr. Common Dervy was involved in some of that research back in the day. So um, what I like most is one of the things we do during research week, and I know I'm skipping ahead a bit, is that we send out trivia. So did you know this, this, and that about mm-hmm. VA research? And so the responses we get back are very interesting because sometimes there is this distal connection to the trivia that we present. And in fact, Mona Tremont sent us a message saying, when I was in high school, I got to see that person's lab and it was so amazing. So, you know, it's really a neat kind of uh, opportunity to look at what's been done. It's incredible. And to think that a lot of that stuff is going on every day, you know, within this hospital, it's, uh, it's really fascinating stuff. So I'm, I'm excited to learn about some of the things that you guys are, are doing here. You know, what are some of the main focuses that we are doing here individually within uh, the VA, VA Southern Nevada healthcare system? We are really working with our clinician scientists to bring clinical trials on board. We're really supporting not just the trainees, but also our clinicians to submit um, principal investigator initiated ideas. So then they can work with students, but they can also work with their clinical teams and they present a lot of interesting, interesting issues. And what I love about our VA is you have some seasoned clinicians who have a lot of wisdom. So beyond kind of the academic approach where you look at the literature and that's how you develop your questions, our clinicians have hands on. And so they're asking questions that academia doesn't know about. And I'm, I'm excited for the future because we're going to partner with the scholars in our academic settings and then these wise clinicians and the questions that they're going to be able to explore are going to be amazing. 
So on a local level, you know, we're just kind of getting started with the medical school over at UNLV. Um, you know, we're, we're not as lucky as some other some other areas of the country with having a, a ton of, of educational and academia nearby. Um, you know, what are some of the things that, that you've seen develop since UNLV's had the medical school program? Well, we have some other very strong departments there as well. So nursing is very strong. Also, psychology is very strong. And so we can use some of the connections we have in those uh, departments mm -hmm. to then structure the medical um, affiliate agreements so that we can promote more research. What kind of stuff do you guys have going on in-house? Like, What are some of the, the actual uh, things that you have developed here? Well, one of the things I think we're most proud of is our pilot project um, grant. And what happened with that is we wanted, again, our clinician scientists to present their ideas, come up with a protocol, and we would provide a bit of money to support that research project. And some of those projects are amazing. Okay, I will give you an example of one. So Dr. Remsen, he was from PM&R, and he was really interested in the exoskeletons that people who cannot walk might make use of. And so he had been studying this for a long time. Again, we have seasoned clinicians. So his idea was to provide this um, pharmaceutical treatment as well as a tilt table, which strengthens the, their calcium deposits in their bones. And within to kind of truncate the time that their bones would be dense enough to then be eligible for an exoskeleton. So a project like that would change the way that care is offered. And I mean, can you imagine veterans who cannot walk and then within a short amount of time, like two years instead of five years, they're up and they're walking around. Mm -hmm. It's things like that that get us excited and out of bed in the morning. Do, do you find it's easier to come at research from a from being the government? You know, I've I've done uh, stories and things, talk to people um, where they're private healthcare, uh, like the Cleveland Clinic here in town and stuff like that, and they get federal grants, but they've got to apply for it, and there's a big process and everything. But it, in in this case, we are. We are the federal grant, right? Um, does it does it make it easier for you to launch some sort of uh, experimental research trial like that, having already have that connection to uh, funding is everything. So, um, you know, the, the federal government's the biggest pot of money in the United States. Yeah. So it's funny you ask that, Josh, because we still have to apply for um, grants ourselves. We have to apply to NIH, to the VA funded grants. Uh, we have the HSRND, CCRND, RRRND, and the like. We also have the um, cooperative programs, uh, study programs, I should say. It's called CSP studies. In fact, in fact, MVP, one of the known studies we have right now, was CSP. And then it grew to be a bigger, better program and had to split from CSP in its own program right now. So... I, uh, I, we could talk about the MVP a little bit more later, but we have some CSP studies right now currently in our facility. Not to mention, we also have clinical trials that are sponsored by pharma companies. So those also bring money to us. So research offers a lot of opportunities not only for clinicians, but we also have our residents, fellows, and interns who can dip into it and also learn and also work with us uh, at research. I love what Marissa said, and some of the some of the things to just 
for our audience that doesn't know about some of these acronyms. So MVP is the Million Veteran Program. That's the big genetic kind of database. And what she's saying is, while we have to apply to be a part of these enterprise-wide research endeavors, they get so big that then there's more opportunities to yes. look at different pieces of it. And because we're part of it, we have that opportunity. Does it help to be a VA employee? Sometimes, right? The credentialing, like you have to have certain um, a history of research in a certain way, and you have to demonstrate that you're competent enough to roll out a trial. Those criteria are still as stringent as other areas, but the path to get the money can sometimes be easier because you have, like Marissa was saying, you have these different kinds of research program offices. So um, if you wanted to do basic science, right, you're in the lab, you're looking at the microscope, there's a whole program office that Marissa referred to for that. If you want to do human subjects, there's a whole program office. So what we have is easier access to these kind of content funded um, entities. And I hope that's helpful. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how often do you have people come up to you and say, you, you do what? Because I've I, I didn't really make a connection until Research Week was here that that there's a lot of research type things that go on within the VA because you think it's primarily care based. Mm -hmm. um, so how many how often do you get people who come up to you and say I, I never even knew the VA did research like that all the time. All the time. It's funny how often it is. Even sometimes in our own hallway they go, "Where do you work?" I'm like, "Work at research. We do research here. Oh yeah, we do." Do we do COVID research? Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> One of the exciting things that's going to happen this year, though, is um, our service developed a really solid strategic plan, and it involves everybody in the hospital. And so I think there's going to be a big push in the next uh, five years. Actually, it's a five-year plan, maybe 10 years, to involve people in these collaborative efforts. And I'm not just talking about collaborations with the university, but I'm talking about collaborations with their own students, collaborations with each other. And so leadership is gonna really put in the infrastructure to allow us to blossom. And they're also gonna bring talent on board. I have a sneaky suspicion that that's gonna happen. So going back to what you're talking about with the Million Veteran Program, so that was developed in, in 2011, and it was, you know, like you said, a genetic research project. Um, you know, we're 10 years in. Uh, I know that we hit at least the halfway mark. Have, have we reached the million veteran mark already? Not yet. We're close. We're though. very close. We're very close. We're and they, close. they extended or um, increased the number. So I think now it's 2 million, right? It, it hasn't been official yet, oh. but it's in the, it's in the works. Okay. It'll come soon. So we are hoping that it will get there sooner than later. And um, hopefully we'll get more genetic studies out of MVP. Um, so as I'm sure you know, um, MVP is a genetic study and, and off that there will be some offshoots off from the MVP. Right now we're actually participating on a pilot study under MVP. So what are the, some of the things that they're looking for through the MVP program? What are the genetic, you know, indicators that they're looking for? You know, I don't, I know they look at diabetes a lot. They're looking at things that in the GI tract, um, Beyond that, I don't know, but what I do know is there's a whole, they created a database and what they're trying to do. So again, there's an, a push from our National Office of Research and Development, Dr. Rachel Ramoni and Dr. Grant Wong. Last September, they said, we want to really commit to an enterprise-wide research um, program, right? And so what that means is they're connecting collaborators from all across the country. So if you're interested in GI, like Dr. Fayad, right, he's very interested in that 
Well, then we want to connect you to this group that's in Boston because they have similar ideas. And from that, we can look at the MVP data, right? Because he's one of the MVP um, site uh, liaisons. And so he can, um, they can develop ideas together and then they can roll that out under the MVP umbrella. So how closely does the private business industry. You mentioned a little bit, Marisa, about the uh, about working with pharmaceutical companies. You know, I think public perception. There's a lot of research that's driven by profits by you know outside industries. But do they? Do you guys work collaboratively a lot with those industries to you know work together to to do your research? That's why we have the third party uh, studies. Uh, the sponsors come in and uh, you know request for us to do their studies. Of course, we can't just jump in and do the studies. It has to go through several committees to make sure, first and foremost, we protect our veterans. That's our main duty here. Uh, our main duty here in the VA is to make sure our veterans are well protected, not just PHIPII, but also their health um, issues. Is that the for, for That's front, always not for at the forefront, yes. Mm -hmm. I've had a chance to interview a, a couple of the researchers down at the Rubo Center downtown where they're doing all of the, the Alzheimer's and uh, neurodegenerative brain uh, uh, research and treatment and things like that. Talking to them, they said that when they do, because they do a lot of clinical research there, uh, they said that almost like 95 to 97% of their trials fail. Mm -hmm. um, and, and whether it's, and they're working on like, Alzheimer's. It's like cancer, right? You know, it's a very, very hard thing to kind of, kind of, kind of fix. But, um, you know, whether for them, whether it was the dosing of a drug was wrong or the, the trial design was just uh, uh, not designed well or something like that. What's the, in general, for the, the, the research that the VA is doing trials and things like that, what's the, what's the success rate like? Oh, well, I think it's highly successful because what happens is we have a very strict institutional review board and when, the reason why it takes so long and people get frustrated is that you have to put in all of the information about how the trial will be run. And because you have to do the extensive upfront work, it eliminates the failure of the trials. So I just think, you know, sometimes bureaucracy, we don't like it. But when you go through the process, it's it's so solid that that um, front end investment really has a payoff at the back end. So I, I don't think our trials are, we don't have many failures in trials, I don't think. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Dr. Brown and Marisa. And we're going to talk more about the research week going on here at the VA. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel, but now there are vaccines and they are the very first step that let us get back to what we miss most. It's okay to have questions. Is it safe? Should I wait? Now, get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision when vaccines are available to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Question, what will you find on all over-the-counter or OTC medicine packages to help you choose the right drug and use it safely? The answer, the drug facts label. This label lists the medicine's active ingredients and purpose, how much to take, and warnings you should know before using it. Remember, even OTC medicines you buy without a prescription can cause side effects you don't want. So follow the information listed on the drug facts label. For more information, visit fda.gov slash drug facts label. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. I didn't want to talk. 
She just sat with me. That was all I really needed. We got back. One day he called me out of the blue. And it's comforting to know that I always can count on him to have my back. She called me from time to time. I really didn't think I needed any help. It took me from being really depressed to feeling like somebody cared to give me some hope. Just that one text. Be there. Your call. Your presence. Your words. Your support. Be there and help save a life. Learn more about preventing suicide at VeteransCrisisLine.net. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Welcome back to The Nine Line Podcast. We're talking with our leading researchers here at the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We have Dr. Brown and Marisa Kristovich. Welcome, ladies. Welcome back. So, research week this week. In years past, I know that we've had a big, you know, presentation hall where we everyone brings these poster boards and it's like uh, the world's most advanced show and tell. But, uh, you know, this year with COVID, we've had to change things up a little bit. So what are you guys doing this week for Research Week? So this week we've changed it up to be having the poster presentations into a virtual poster presentation. New virtual age. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, you've had a full week of presentations. You've had uh, a number of different topics. What are some of the topics that you guys have covered? Um, So there's been some really interesting case studies from some of the GI fellows. Um, There's been really interesting QI projects from our nursing staff. Um, What else, Marissa? We also have some uh, PM&R um, interns who will be presenting on Friday. So if you haven't uh, jumped in and joined us yet, we'll have one tomorrow and also on Friday. We also have, by the way, post poster presentations from our pharmacists interns. Yes. So that's really, really cool. I really enjoyed that presentation The psychiatrist, too. Psychiatrist, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was... I think he was looking at um, naloxone or something. So treatment oh. for some of the addictions. Interesting. So a lot of stuff you guys covered. I saw Dr. Fayad was on mm-hmm. there Thursday with about three different presentations about GI stuff. Yeah. So he has this camera that uh, I forgot what it's called, Dr. Brown, but uh, that for those people who don't want to do colonoscopy, they just take this camera and a pill, I guess, and it shows the uh, the GI track. GI track. Yeah. So are all the presentations that are being done this week all from VA clinicians? Yes, here. Yep. That's the big difference. In the previous years, we invited our affiliate universities, uh, UNLV, Roseman, and Toro. This year, we decided let's keep it in-house. Yes. Let's keep it in-house and look what came out. No, it's it's so interesting when you, you like you talked about with Dr. K being involved in the trials for, uh, the, for the nicotine patch. patch. It's so it's so cool that we have so many clinicians here who are not only doing patient care but also leading minds as far as you know academia and research and stuff. It's uh it's pretty interesting. Is is that rare to have? Because uh, when I think of us here, I think of us as a a normal hospital. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, g- comparable to the kind of service you would get at any other hospital out there in, in the community, Summerlin here here in Vegas. Um, are they doing research there, too? Or is that something that's kind of exclusive to what we're doing here? When you think of a, a single hospital or a single medical center, does research go on at, at every hospital you see in town or to some is that degree just, yeah well to some degree and i think it was bolstered by the opening of the medical school so t- prior to that i would probably say no 
But now I think there's this requirement for students to engage in some kind of research. So I think that they are coming along. But what, you know, the VA has a commitment to research from the get-go. So I think we're further along in that commitment than other places. So, you know, it was all in-house, you said, all the, the clin- all, all the presenters were VA. Now, were there participants in any way or, or observers from the local community that took part this year? No, no. it's just been in-house. Okay. So... In the future, when, you know, fingers crossed, we move into a, a more sense of normal <laughs> normal environment next year, um, are they going to re-expand and open it back up to the community? Yes. Can we talk about, okay, so before COVID hit, I think mm-hmm. it we closed down just before research, research week last week, week yes. last year. We had this elaborate week planned. Okay, and we, we plan to do that in the future. But on Monday, there were going to be a table full of the research that we're doing here, um, just on the corridor. Then I don't know if it was Tuesday or Wednesday, we were going to have the poster presentation with all of the students and faculty from other places and our own staff. And then we had like a separate event planned. And this was really exciting because Marisa did this in about 2015. Mm-hmm. So we were going to have all of the affiliates come in, designated um, specialists from certain areas that were going to partner with our specialists and primary care and other things. They were going to have tables and they were going to talk about the projects that they want to pursue together. So that is in the future. That is where we're headed. Well, that's, that's a great way to foster collaboration. Exactly. And... That's that's the plan is to collaborate with our affiliate university, especially since uh, UNLV had already started their uh, uh, School of Medicine. So that would be an exciting and we're planning that next year and we're hoping, we're hoping yes. that it'll be it'll come to fruition. You know, with COVID kind of putting everybody's plans on hold, or at least, you know, we've all had to kind of adjust how we do things in this healthcare system. Um, you know, how has research been affected during the pandemic? In a couple of ways. One is definitely very administrative. I'm pretty proud of, I'm very proud of our service because there were certain policies and procedures that we implemented before anybody else. And we got them into a format that was acceptable to the facility as well. But what that did was that allowed us to have a flow of veterans coming in in a very safe way and on a small scale, continue some of the clinical trials that were already ongoing. We did have to put the new ones on hold, but the ones that were already ongoing, we could still bring veterans in for their appointments. The other thing, and I love and appreciate Dr. Daisley, is that he got involved with the convalescent plasma study with the Mayo Clinic very early on. And so our service, the administrative service, supported that endeavor because we had never partnered with Mayo, nobody in VA, really, to that extent. And bringing that treatment on board was just amazing. And because of the success of that, VA has started their own convalescent plasma study as a follow-up. And so we're involved in that as well. And, you know, Pfizer and Moderna and, and Johnson Johnson, they all get a lot of the, the, the accolades for doing research really, really quickly to get the vaccines out. And they deserve that. How does it make you feel to know that you are also a part of some of the research that was helping to, to fight a, a global pandemic? It was amazing. It was amazing. And it's really, it's really the principal investigators. And then it's really my staff, because as we were saying, there are some stringent upfront investments that have to be made. And so my staff helps the PI to make sure that everything's um, in order and in line, and then they can start the trials and recruitment. How big is the staff of the uh, research department here? It's very tiny. We have about <laughs> Four, one, two. You're, you're talking to both of them. Right yeah, <laughs> we, we have maybe uh, six. Two, six and maybe four that are are through the facility. So, 
Is that is that typical through the VA? Um, I don't think so. Maybe for a facility our size, or maybe uh, facilities that are in our position, but. I know that leadership has invested, so we're going to expand um, by about, gosh, 50% this coming year. Yeah. And then in the future, there are plans to build the infrastructure. So I'm looking forward to a bigger service, but to support more research, not just to get bigger. So what are some of the, the hot button projects you guys are working on right now? The ones you can talk about, at least. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, my favorite one is a GI study that's coming up. And so people go in, they get colonoscopies, right? Um, but it, wouldn't it be neat to have a more or less invasive procedure to tell if you might be developing cancer in your colon? So one of the studies focuses on that. I don't want to say too much in case I'm overstepping, but I really love that study. Um, we have a similar study with women's health. And, you know, women don't like to come in for these annual exams. And there's a way that they can... Um, administer some of the diagnostic procedures themselves. And so that would increase the rate of actually doing the procedures and they could catch cancers earlier. Sure. I'm sure a lot of the reason for hesitation with getting some of those screenings is just the invasiveness of, you know, the privacy issues and things like that. So, yes. I mean, that, that makes sense. And that, it sounds like it'd be a great way to get more, more people involved and, in, you know, regular testing. Mm -hmm. uh, and with, with colonoscopy, um, you know, from from what I saw, it looks like most of our procedures and and what we know about colonoscopy is directly a result of VA research to begin with. Yeah, yeah. There's another project that I'm working on, um, and it has to do with measurement based care. So in the mental health field, people want to measure progress and symptoms, and so I'm looking at a numbers from a big database that we on our own veterans that we've collected over the years and kind of the trends and how we can tell if we're making a difference. So that's another thing because they haven't done it yet, but I think that that could be really fruitful to inform clinicians and administrators, you know, where they need to invest their time and money. You know, you talked a little bit about what Dr. K has done uh, with the, the nicotine patch, but what's what's the fav your favorite uh, research trial that you've been a part of or, or program? The most um, memorable. The most memorable. I think, actually, although Dr. Remsen's didn't come to fruition because of COVID, that is my favorite project because I was actually at a national convention where a gentleman got up to the podium and he was talking and he said, I just want you to know that under the suit, I'm wearing an exoskeleton. It, it was like a tearjerker, right? So to have that experience replicated here, that's by far one of my favorite projects. See, I think that's one thing that's fascinating about, you know, working with this with the VA perspective. You know, some things like, um, you know, colorectal exams and, and, you know, women's health. Those are things that are universally applicable. You know, we'll see that that can benefit the general population. But there's certain things that, you know, from a veteran standpoint are maybe a little bit more prevalent. You know, PTSD, TBIs, things like that, um, you know. Do you think that, do you guys get some sense of uh, like, you know, internal reward knowing that, you know, some of the things you do so directly benefit our veteran populations? Absolutely. And I think every clinician here feels the same way. So when you can see someone who, I like that you brought up PTSD. So there's a study that we haven't done yet, again, because of some COVID restrictions, but basically it involves a community intervention. So going out to a local pool getting in the water, they're measuring some vasopressin levels and kind of the calming um, hormones um, and neurotransmitters uh, related to what water does to your body. Now, the reason why that's neat is that 
other treatments are more invasive, right? But if you can reintegrate veterans into the community, veterans who have been homebound or, you know, are so hyper aware that they have difficulty being in crowds, if you can find an intervention that kind of overcomes that, that's amazing. And it's pretty specific to the veteran population. Sure. You know, you talked a little bit about some of the, the altruism involved with the, the research that the VA does, you know, as compared to, you know, the, the profit-driven private sector. But the, you, there's some trials that are based in research from the private sector that have now been kind of transitioned to uh, helping with the VA. And you want to talk a little bit about some of those? I do. So Michael Milken, he had prostate cancer some years ago. And so he's very wealthy and he wanted a cure. And I know sometimes with population-based health care, if it doesn't really impact the population to such a degree that it's noticeable, um, then they don't focus their attention on those problems. But it affected him personally. He created a nonprofit foundation and he hired amazing scientists, amazing administrators. And after a certain amount of years, I don't know if it was five or eight, um, they developed cures for prostate cancer and it was based on genetics. And so now if you have a certain genetic um, code, they will give you a certain pill. And if you have a different one, they'll give you a different pill. And basically this is eliminating prostate cancer. And what is super amazing is that they partnered with the VA. They said, we wanna be altruistic. We want veterans to have access to this cure or treatment. And so last fall, they partnered with our VA, and they're rolling this out nationally in some of the hub locations across the country. So I just, I think that's amazing. That's outstanding. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you both very much for joining us today. This has been a really awesome conversation. I've learned a lot, and I'm really looking forward to seeing some of the stuff that uh, our research department does in the future. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Just a quick reminder to anyone who's uh, visiting the VA Medical Center and any of our uh, primary clinic, primary care clinics that uh, at the current moment, we are still requiring a masking policy in all areas of clinical care. So um, make sure that, you know, despite what the CDC guidelines are saying uh, in, in other areas, in, in healthcare settings, it's still imperative that we continue to wear masks. So thank you very much, folks, for listening, and uh, we will join you in two weeks. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash lasvegasva. Thanks for listening.